I'm looking at the future, I, I need hope for the future. I need future, I need hope for, for tomorrow. I need hope to get through my mistakes of today through to tomorrow. And so when I begin to look at hope, hope is something that I think we all need. And if we go through a life without hope, we know what it's like to be hopeless. Have you ever, have you ever met somebody that you felt was hopeless? Um, you know, maybe you said, well, this person just has so much going against them. They have all these things happening, and they, you would say they're hopeless, right? Or maybe there's times in your own life you say, I feel hopeless. I mean, I, I lost my job. I, did, I had this go wrong. And you start listing up all these things that went wrong, and you say, all right, I have felt the negative things that have come against me, and I feel hopeless. There's no, no hope. And then I started thinking about that. Well, what is hope? What does hope really mean? Um, <clears throat> I was talking to my family this week, and I was, as I was preparing, I said, so what do you guys think hope is? And so I asked my daughter, what do you think hope is? And she goes, well, hope is. And then she goes, well, hope is. And then a third time she goes, well, hope is. And she couldn't quite describe it. I said, well, what do you think hope is? And often we get this meaning of hope. When we hear the word hope, we get this idea of I wish. Or I think it might happen. I wish it would happen. Like last night as I was watching the forecast, I said to myself, I hope it doesn't snow tomorrow, right? And I was totally wrong. That was just a nice wishful thinking. Um, uh, When you think of hope, if you go to Webster's Dictionary, the first thing that comes up in Webster's says to want something to happen or to be true and to think it could happen or be true. So it's, it's a, the first idea is a wish, but that's not what the Bible's talking about here. The Bible's not saying that you could wish on heaven, that you could wish for God's plan, that you could wish for something good. He's saying here that you have a confident, uh, a, a, an ex, you can expect with confidence that God is going to do something. Now that is hope. When I come to a funeral... And, and we have the hope of eternity. We have the hope of Jesus Christ. So when I come to a funeral and I, I see a, a body in the grave, uh, in a casket, and we, we put that body in the grave, we have the hope of eternal life. And it's not, and often, I know when I say that at a funeral, I often wonder, what do people who, who don't understand the things of God, who don't, who don't know what I'm talking about, when I say hope, are they thinking that I'm saying that we have a wish of eternal life? No, we don't have a wish. We have a confidence of eternal life based on who Jesus is. Amen? It's based on who he is. Because Jesus said it, I can now bank my life on it. That's hope. And even though it hasn't happened yet, I have hope. And it's confidence in what Jesus has done and what Jesus said he would do. See, Jesus follows through on his promises. Um, How about glory? What is glory? We're talking about the hope of glory. The hope of glory is Christ in us. Now, for... When the Apostle Paul gave us that verse in Colossians 1.27, he talks about a mystery. He said, this is really a mystery. Number one, the, one of the mysteries was that, that everybody could come to God. See, up until this point, up until Jesus died and came back to life, before that point, it was the, only the nation of Israel knew about God. Only the nation of Israel could come to God. They had the law, and they followed the law, and the, they had these, the sacrificial system, and they went through all these things that, that only the Jews had. And now, after, not long after Christ has risen from the dead, the word is spread all over the region, and, 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 and the word's moving rapidly because all these eyewitnesses are saying, hey, I saw Jesus. This man, they put him on a cross. You know they crucify criminals all the time, but this one, this guy rose from the dead. And I heard he's not even a criminal. He, he, he was perfect. 
They killed him, and he came back to life. He's the son of God. How do I know? Because I saw him. I saw him. And so these eyewitnesses were, were spreading all over the place. And it was, it was, remember, he was seen of more than 500 people. And so this was like spreading like rapid wildfire all over the region. And within just a few short years, Christianity was like, was a major movement. God started a movement. His ecclesia. It was his called out ones, and, and this, this movement had started. And so what, what the apostle is saying here, he says that it's with confidence. We'll throw that verse back up, or Colossians 1.27. He says, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles. Listen, the mystery is that the word could spread further than Israel. The, word, the mystery is now that everybody could come to Christ, and that the riches of glory of this mystery, Christ in us. Now think about that. Here it is. You get to have the hope of glory, Jesus Christ in you. This isn't some metaphor. This isn't just something that is a nice churchy statement. This is something that is real. When you open your heart to Jesus and you accept what he did on that cross, you accept, and, and as, as Romans chapter 10 says, to, uh, to, to believe that he came back to life again, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what happens. And now when you do that, Christ is in you. What did I have to do to earn that? Nothing. I just receive it. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so we have this hope. We have this confidence. We can expect with confidence that God will do what he said he would do. <clears throat> here is a, here's a definition, a four-word definition for, the, for, for hope. You ready? God is in control. God is in control. When, when Jesus was in the tomb, from Friday to Sunday, God was in control. When Jesus rose from the dead, God was in control. When Jesus was on the cross, at the trial, at the crucifixion, when, when the, all the pressures were mounting up, God was in control. And the same holds true in our life today. God is in control. You have faced some of the worst things in your life, and hope is this. God is in control. I have hope. I can expect God to be in control. I, I understand that God is in control of my life. And so when, when we come to that, I want, I want you to think about why do we need hope? We, we live in a world that has so much bad news. You turn on the 6 o'clock news, what do you see? All these negative, right? They don't ever put up about the one guy who was happy. They put up the guy who was stabbed, right? The, the guy who had this wrong and this went wrong. And they show all these negative things. They show all these companies that have gone bankrupt. They don't show you the 10 new companies that started up this week. They show you all the bad stuff. And so we live in a world that's pretty hopeless. But we have hope. We have hope. So what happens if I have hope? If I have hope, what happens in my life? Number one, the first thing that can happen in your life is you can get moving. You can get your life moving. You can start rolling in the right direction. And, uh, and you know, somebody said that getting started is the hardest part about anything. Have you ever noticed that? Go to do a project around your house. You know, for me, cutting the grass, getting started is the hardest part. Uh, especially after that mower sat all winter. You know, I'm going to go and I'm going to pull that cord a hundred times. You know, unless I just throw it away and get another one, right? I'm just, it, it, just, it just takes forever on the first start. I'll never forget a couple of years ago, a friend of mine said, don't leave the gas in there all winter. And I said, oh, you're crazy. It's just a little bit of gas, right? 
No, I was crazy. I left a little bit of gas in there. It wouldn't start. The uh, hardest part is getting started. Uh, if you have a big project, you, you say, wow, you know, how am I ever going to get moving on it? I, you know, when you know that there's an end, you can start. And the same is true with any area of your life, even in a Christian life when you're, you're walking with God. There is an end. We have hope, the hope of glory. It is within us, Christ Jesus. And we get to walk along this journey with him, and so I can get moving on some hard areas in my life. Why? Because of who Jesus is. Isaiah 40 says that those who wait, that's the idea of hope there, those who wait, those who hope in the Lord, will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Uh, that's, there, there's hope, right? It's when I have hope. Uh, when I have hope, I can live with pain. I can live with pain. Uh, you can live with burdens. Look at your pressures. Look at some of the pressures that you have. You can live through certain pain. Somebody once told me uh, with, a, with a physical ailment they were dealing with, they said, I can live through this because I know I'm going to go get this fixed. I, I can deal with this because it's coming down the road. So, so they saw a sequence of events, and they said, okay, I can deal with this, all right? And, uh, and, and the same is true in the spiritual realm. Um, we have hope. As a matter of fact, look what the Apostle Paul said here in 2 Corinthians 1.8. It says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Aren't you thankful that the writers of the Bible dealt with this stuff? Don't you ever feel like that? Don't you ever feel like, man, this, this is so overwhelming. I just I like to throw my hands up and quit. This was painful. This was, this was overwhelming to my soul. And the, the Apostle Paul here says, listen, what I was doing, we were, we were trying to get the gospel out, and we were beat, we were battered, we had all these things happen. He says, it was, it was just overwhelming. We just didn't even want to go forward. We, were, we despaired life itself. And he goes further on in that chapter. He says, but this happened so that we would trust not in ourselves, but trust in God. Um, I can go run the race. I can run the race. I can move forward, and now I can run the race. That's the third thing this morning. If I have hope, I can run the race. The Apostle Paul said, I press on towards the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Why? Because there's a finish line. There's hope, right? If I look at the hope of the future, I look at the hope of the finish line. It's Christ Jesus. The prize is Jesus. All right? I have hope. He can keep running. Avid runners tell me, if you want to win a race, if you're racing, um, you know, while you're running, you don't look at the competition. You don't look at everything around you. You look at the finish line, and you keep that finish line in mind. That's what hope does for us. Florence Chadwick uh, was, a, was an incredible swimmer. She was the first woman um, in 19, and actually in 1951, she was the first woman to uh, swim the English Channel and back. And you can tell it's 1951. I was just looking at that picture. Look at the size of those goggles on her face, you know? Now you'd have these real little small goggles. She's got these big, gigantic goggles there. But uh, in 1951, Florence Chadwick, she swam, was attempting to swim the English Channel back and forth. And so she made it, and she was, she was heading back from Catalina to the California coastline. And she didn't quite make it. And why didn't she make it? Was it, because of the, was it because of the cold waters? Was it because of the sharks in the water? Uh, was it because of the 15 to 16-hour swim and she was fatigued? Um, no. It was none of those things. Why she didn't make it on her first try at this, what happened was she got within about a mile of the coastline and a deep fog set in. 
and she's swimming, she's swimming, she's trying to get back to the coastline, and as she's swimming back to the coastline, this fog sets in, and she can't see an end in sight. She knows that it can't be far, but she, she just becomes overwhelmed, and they pull the boat, she flags the boat and says, listen, I got to get out, I can't do this anymore. She gets out of the boat, and she finds out she's within one mile, within one mile of the finish line. She couldn't see it because the deep fog set in. Isn't that what happens to us in our life? Man, sometimes it's a fog. It's, it's deep. It's heavy. And we, we can't see because of the hope. There's no hope. We're looking forward, and all we're seeing is all these negative things, and I've I got this going on, and i got that going on. That's, this is heavy. The burdens are huge. Yes, the burdens is huge. But we have hope, and I can make it to the finish line. So she tried it again. Florence Chadwick is the one who was the first woman to make it through the English Channel and back. She swam it out and back. This time when she did it, she made it, and, and she had all the same challenges, cold water, there were sharks, she had a number of things that she had to deal with, and she got to the same spot, and guess what? Fog settled in. And she said, she said what made the difference? She said, when that fog settled in, I had a picture in my mind of the coastline, and I knew that I had hope. I knew that I could get there. I knew I was close. And see, that's what it is in our life. I can run the race. Why? Because I have hope, not in myself, not in some, some power that I've done, because I have hope in Christ. 1 Peter 1.6 says, So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to enjoy, endure many trials for a little while. Even though you have trials here on this earth, you have to endure them. And guess what? If you haven't had a trial hanging there, it's coming. I'll never forget, somebody told me that one time. I heard a pastor say that, and I was like, boy, that's a little bit gloom and doom. And then all of a sudden, the trial started coming in my life. Uh, it wasn't because he said that, it was because you live life. The longer you live, listen, we live in a fallen world, don't we? And the longer that you live in the fallen world, you're going to see trials, there's going to be tribulations, there's going to be health problems, there's going to be relationship problems, there's gonna, you just name it up. And there's these problems that become really big and heavy. But God says here, be truly glad because there's joy ahead even though you have to go through it right now. I can slow down. I can slow down. That's the next thing that I can do. Hope is what gives me the ability to slow down in this busy life. Uh, think about it. When life gets out of balance, when too much becomes too important, what do we do? We get in a little bit more of a hurry. We tend to speed up. We tend to do more, add more to our list. Uh, it's an old and ironic habit of human beings to always run faster when they've lost their way. And if, I don't know, if you look in your life, when things start to go a little bit haywire, what do we do? We just keep running and running and running and running. I heard that in Brazil, after you've worked a year, your vacation time is 30 days. Anybody want to move to Brazil? 30 days. In Germany, it's 24 days after one year. In America, it's 10 days. So uh, I, we could use a little bit more rest, couldn't we, right? But listen. That isn't going to change everything. When I have hope, it's not about a vacation. It's about knowing that God is in control. When I can place God in control and put him on that throne, um, Psalm 62, 5 says this, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for all my hope is from him. Let all that I am wait quietly before God, for my hope is in him. Let just I can be quiet. I can rest. I can... I can have rest in his presence. Why? Because my hope is not in me. My hope is not in my circumstances. My hope is not in all the things that I've done. My hope is in God. 
And the last thing this morning is that hope gives me the power to say no to temptation. This is pretty, pretty wild stuff. I can say no to temptation if I have hope. And here's, here's the verse. Uh, 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 says, How great is the love that the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. The reason that the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are the children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. Now, we get to see Him as He is. We will be like Him. You, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you've opened your heart, you, there's our hope, will be like Him. Verse 3 says, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. There it is. You want, you, you want to be able to say no to temptation? Think about this. One day you're going to be like Christ. My whole life goal, right, is to be, life, to be like Christ. I'm trying to be more and more like Jesus. That's your goal, to be more and more like Jesus. One day. According to 1 John chapter, one, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, one day we will be like Christ. We will be perfect in heaven. I, I told the first service, I said that uh, you know, there are no perfect marriages except in heaven, where the Bible says there's none given in marriage. So I don't understand that all, but I'll tell you this. Here on earth, we're not perfect. In heaven, we'll be like Christ. We'll be perfect. Now, isn't that amazing? You will be like Christ. And so that, that is our hope. There's our hope for the future. I want you to look with me this morning. Uh, John chapter 18, beginning in verse 15. John chapter 18, verse 15. We're going to look at the life of Peter. You know, Peter went through some hopeless times. Peter was uh, uh, called by God. He was a disciple. God said to him, follow me, and he followed him. He, be, he, was, a, he was a great follower of Christ. He was one of the three tightest. You had the 12 disciples. But out of the twelve, there was three that were the Titus, Peter, James, and John. And Peter was one of the Titus disciples with Jesus. And yet, as uh, uh, Jesus told him, told Peter that you will deny me three times. Um, the, 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 the trial was beginning. They were, they were ready. You know, uh, Judas was about to betray him. And he says, Peter, you'll deny me three times. And Peter says, not I, Lord. No way would I ever do that. There's no way... Not, you must, have the, you must be mistaken. This is Peter you're talking about here. I'm not going to deny it. God says, it will be you. You will deny me three times. Uh, verse uh, 15, chapter 18, verse 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. So what was happening here was that uh, John got them in through. Jesus had been arrested, and now he's going into trial, and he's going to be appearing before the high priest. And so as Jesus is, 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 has been apprehended, John and Peter, okay, he says, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. John's writing. He's, uh, he's pretty, pretty private about who he is. He doesn't come out and say, and John. He says, and another disciple. And oftentimes, we'll see the disciple that Jesus loved. Uh, that, that, when you're reading John, you know that's John there, okay? Since the disciple was known to the high priest, so John was known to the high priest, uh, I've heard that he was some sort of, there was some sort of third cousin type of thing or something like that. 
uh, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside of the door. So Peter wasn't known to the high priest, and so he's standing outside of the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, so John, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. So he says, hey, bring Peter into the courtyard. Get him in here. Then the servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now I want you to think about this. Peter meets up with a little servant girl. This is like a little middle school girl. And she says, hey, aren't you, aren't you one of the followers? Aren't you part of, part of the Jesus gang over there? Oh, no, no, no. I am not. And so he denies him. There's the first time. Um, he says, I am not. Verse 18, now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire. I want you to take note of this. The servants and officers had made a charcoal fire. There's only two places that you see the word charcoal in the Bible, um, that you see a charcoal fire. Only two places, and we're going to see both of those places here this morning. He says that now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire. John's giving us something here, and I want you to catch it, because when we see it again, you're going to say, John was trying to get our attention. He was an eyewitness to this stuff, and he's saying, whoa, pay attention to this. Makes a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. And Peter also was, was with them standing and warming himself. So here's the picture. These guys are outside and there's a charcoal fire. You remember charcoal, don't you? Uh, you know, my kids probably don't know what that is because you hit, you hit on, our, on our barbecue, you go click, 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 up comes the flame, right? But uh, back whenever I was first married, I'll never forget taking a bag of charcoal in trying to have a cookout. I had this crazy idea that if I just threw all the coals in there, and remember that little bottle of lighter fluid? Shh, you know? And I would light it, and then, boom, I'd be able to put a burger on in five minutes, right? And, uh, and so every time I would light it, it seemed like I could never cook on it. There was no flame, right? And I didn't understand the concept. It was coals. And the coals would keep, keep the heat. And it would, you know, somebody told me the other day, they said, if you, you know, if you light the charcoal, and you come back an hour later, then you can cook. Not in the first 10 minutes. And I'm like, why didn't I know that when I was, you know, I could have been a hero on our first cookout, you know? So anyhow, so you got, you got the charcoal. It's a charcoal fire here. And these guys are standing out there. And, and, uh, and it's, they're in a courtyard. And what has happened is Jesus has been taken into the house of the high priest. Over in Luke, it tells us it's in the house of the high priest. And what that was... In the basement, you, you, they had this place, and this is where the interrogation was taking place. And you would look down, and you could see through a window, and you could see what was going on. So the people that were in the courtyard of the high priest could also see what was going on in the interrogation. They could look through that window, and the people from the window could look and see their loved ones up there. And so what was happening is that Peter's outside, and he's warming himself around this charcoal fire. And, and he can look over, and he can see Jesus. Wait a minute. You want to talk about hopeless? He sees Jesus, and he says, no, I'm not with him. And never, that never stood out to me before. He sees Jesus out of his eye. It's like from here, over there. He's over here standing warm, because he's, he, he's falling. He wants to see what's going to happen to his master. Hey, 
And the little girl comes to him and says, aren't you one of those? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not with him. Um, if you look over here at John chapter 18, verse 25, now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you are also not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. Verse 26, one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear that Peter had cut off. So just before, not long before this, Peter's, Peter cuts off the ear when they go to arrest Jesus. He cuts off the ear of Malchus. And he says, aren't you the guy? Uh, did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter again denies it. While he's looking at Jesus and the rooster crowed. If you go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you see the different people, the different accounts. You see eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus. John gives us this, and he, he brings out the charcoal fire. You go over to Luke. Luke brings this, and this is what really has gotten me about this. Luke 22, 59. About an hour later, someone else insisted this man must be one of them because he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And then verse 61. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Peter's out here. No, I'm not with him. I'm not with him. And Peter and Jesus. Jesus is down in the basement, and there's a window where these people can look through. And Jesus, just, just imagine, they've, they've got his hands out, and, and, and it's like, it's, it's a terrible thing that's going to happen to them. And they're, they're ready. I mean, it's just, everything's about a criminal for this guy, and he did no wrong. And, and his own followers are scattered. He told Peter, you're going to deny me. Peter says, no way would I ever deny you. And Peter's standing here, and Jesus is over there. And Jesus turns and looks at him. And it says that he wept. He left and he wept bitterly. Now think about that. Jesus turns around. He's down over here. I never caught that. I don't know why I never caught it, but it's just jumping out at me. It's screaming volumes to me that Jesus turns around and looks at the guy who's denying him. And you want to talk about hopelessness. You want to talk about Peter. It says that he wept barely. He left the courtyard weeping barely because, he, at, listen, spiritually, everything that he did spiritually was just taken down the tank. It went down the tubes. It went down the drain. It, this, was the, this was the lowest point of Peter's life. And then they go and they take the master that he's denied and he's crucified. And he comes, and they put him in a, in a tomb, and he's buried for three days. And, and, and all these disciples are in hiding during this period of three days. And imagine what's going on in Peter's mind through all this. And yet Peter, God had a special plan for Peter. God uses Peter greatly over in the book of Acts. But Peter didn't know what was coming. All Peter could see at this point, it's Saturday before Jesus has risen from the dead. He's not thinking that Jesus is coming back from the dead. He's thinking, I've let this man down. And now he's gone. And he's feeling about this big. And he's saying, I am no good. I have no hope. There's no future. How could God ever use me? What does Jesus do for Peter? 
Jesus rises from the dead. Yes, he sees Mary Magdalene first, but what did the angels tell him? The angels, the angels tell him, go tell the other disciples and Peter. Now think about that. Was Peter even classified as a disciple at that point? Tell the other disciples and Peter. And among the first disciples, Luke 24 tells us that Jesus made an appearance to, to a couple of disciples that were walking the road to Emmaus. And when, when those disciples met up with the, what the Bible says is the 11, when they met up with the rest of the gang, it says, hey, listen, we saw Jesus, and he even talked to Peter. Jesus took the guy that was at the lowest, the guy that had screwed up the most, and meets with him before anybody else. We're going to talk about hope. You, he went from hopeless to a major step of hope. And then, now, this is, this is what I'm blown away when I think about this. I, I've, been, I've been, like, just so excited about this passage. John chapter uh, 20, um, here's what happens. Uh, 21, they go out, and, the, and, the, um, and they're fishing. So Peter says, I'm going to go fishing first. He says, it's time to go fishing. So Jesus has risen. He's appeared to them. And now he says, I'm going to go fishing. And what does Peter do when he says, I'm, I'm ready to go fishing? And he gets his stuff together, and the other disciples say, well, we're going to go fishing too. So they go out, they fish all night, and there's no fish. There's no fish all night long. And then and as, as daybreak, they're getting close to dawn, they see a man on the shore. The, the boat is about 100 yards from the shore. And they see a man on the shore, and the man yells, did you catch any fish? They don't know it, but it's Jesus. And they're like, no, we didn't catch any fish. We've been here all night. And the man yells back, cast your nets on the right side. They don't know it's Jesus. And imagine what's going on in their mind. Yeah, right. We might not be the best disciples, but we're good fishermen. We know how to fish. We should have been catching fish. So they throw the nets down on the other side. And the nets are overwhelmingly full. They couldn't even haul it in, the scripture says. And then John says, Peter, it's Jesus. And what does Peter do? Peter's like this erratic guy. You know, he's all over the place, right? Peter jumps out of the boat. They're 100 yards from shore. He jumps out of the boat. He makes the 100-yard swim in to see Jesus. And when he comes up on the shore, guess what is there? When they got out on land, so Peter goes on shore, then the boat comes up, and it says, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus was making them breakfast on a charcoal fire. Wait a minute. Peter denies Jesus in front of a charcoal fire. Imagine what Peter thought when he gets there. He's gotten out of the water. He's swimming. Oh not the fire. Oh, I mean, his heart had to sink. And then Jesus and him have a discussion. And what's Jesus do? Jesus goes with him, and he says this, John 21, 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? So now, now picture it. There's a charcoal fire. He's fed them, and, and, and Peter and Jesus. And here's the charcoal fire. Do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. 
Uh, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he says, tend my sheep. Tend my sheep. He says to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Charcoal fire. Three times. He says, I never knew you. I don't know him. I don't know him. I'm not with him. He denies him three times. Charcoal fire. God says to, God's saying to him, do you love me? And he says, well, then feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. What's happening here? Look at, look at what John's taking our attention. He says, look, if you love me, lead my sheep. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. Take care of, this is what is important to me. But look at the, what's deeper here. Peter had said to the Lord, over in Luke, I'm sorry, over in Matthew 18, Peter had said to the Lord, Lord, how many times should we forgive people? Seven times? Because the law was three times. So should we forgive people seven times? So he's thinking double plus one, right? Jesus says, no, forgive 70 times seven. And Jesus wasn't saying, you know what? You got 490 times you have to forgive, and then on the 491st time, you can get them. He's saying you got unlimited. You got to forgive, you got to forgive, you got to forgive, and you got to forgive, and you got to forgive. And you know what Jesus did for Peter? Peter denied him three times, right? Charcoal fire. A week later, charcoal fire. Jesus is saying, Peter, I love you. I love you. I love you. Now think about that. His, his response, by, by, from that denial to over here, God's response by saying, tend my sheep, by feed my sheep, he's saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. He says, I have a purpose for your life and a plan. I, you have hope and a purpose. You have hope and a purpose. You have hope and a purpose. What was his purpose? Go feed my sheep. I love you. I love you. I love you. You have hope. You have a purpose. You have hope. You have a purpose. You have hope. You have a purpose. You know what? If, Jesus, if, if Peter would have denied Jesus ten times, I would think that Jesus would have asked him ten times, do you love me? You love me. You love me. Why? Because it's limitless. And that's how God loves us. That is the hope that we have, folks. Here's what happens. So many times we get hopeless because of our own actions. You realize you can look at your mistakes. Go back and look at your life from this point backwards, right? And you can think of all your mistakes. And you can say, well, when I was 20, I did this. When I was 25, I did that. When I was 30, oh, man, I really blew that job. And All right, so we start with this. We have this long list. And we live under that list, don't we? We put ourselves in a hopeless situation. And that's where Peter was. Peter was in that hopeless situation, but Christ visits with him, and Christ meets with him, and he sees the hope. And he has hope for the rest of his life. As a matter of fact, one of the great things in that passage there, uh, to end it, he says this in, in, in verse 18. Truly I say to you, when you were young, you, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. And then he said this to show what kind of death he was to glorify God with. 
And then he says, follow me. God give Peter a little hint. Peter died with his arms stretched open in a place that he didn't want to go. He was crucified on a cross upside down. Pretty powerful. And Jesus says, listen, you have a bright hope. You have a bright future. And yet there's going to be things that are uncomfortable. There's going to be suffering. And yet there is hope. And then he says, follow me. And that's it. Follow me. And so my encouragement to you this morning is follow God because there is a hope. There is hope. We have the hope of Christ. We have the hope of eternal life. We have the hope that he is working in your life. And this is not a wish. This is a confident expectation. Even if you don't see God or feel God, he's still there. Even if you don't see God or feel God, he's still there. Now think about that this morning. Because you're looking and sometimes you're dealing with some pretty gloomy things that have happened. You're dealing with some of your own mistakes. You know what God said about your mistakes? He said, as far as the east is from the west, that's how he's forgiven our sin. He's removed our sin from us. As far as the east is from the west. You tell me how far the east is from the west. God's not holding a record if you're his child. He's forgiven you. So therefore, why would you hold a record? He's forgiven you. Wow. Uh, Place your hope in Christ, not in your actions. Place your hope in Christ, not in your actions. So many times we say, well, if I turn over in a leaf, if I do this, your hope must be in Christ, not in your actions. Not in your good, not in your bad. Your hope is in Christ because God is in control. Let's bow in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I'd like to ask you today to just respond to the Lord and thank Him for who He is. Thank Him for that hope. But maybe you're here and and you don't have that hope settled in your heart. Jesus died on the cross to give you hope. He died on the cross to give you peace. He died on the cross to forgive you of your sin and to adopt you as His child. And so I ask you this morning if you would... Just open up your heart to God. He says that if you will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved from the punishment of your sin. Uh, If you'll trust him this morning, it's not about joining a church, it's not about giving money, it's not about anything like that. It's only about Jesus. And he gives you hope. Maybe today you're dealing with some things that are pretty hopeless out there. Some circumstances are pretty heavy, and, and maybe this morning God has spoken to you. I'd like to invite you to invite Christ into your heart. And if that's you, I'd like to invite you just right in the quietness of this moment, would you just pray a prayer something like this to God? Just pray and say, Dear God, just real quietly, nobody else needs to hear. It's just between you and God. But just pray like this. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I've done wrong things. I need you, Lord. You died on the cross. You paid for my sin. And I invite you into my life right now. Because you rose from the dead, I invite you into my life now. God, I thank you for the hope that you give me in Christ. And for others here this morning, maybe you have not been focused in on your hope. Maybe you've given up hope. Maybe you've laid down your hope. You, 
You've dealt with some circumstances that are overwhelming. You've dealt with some heartbreak. You've dealt with pain. It is it's terrible out there. I know it is. But there's hope. There's hope in Christ. And God is not finished with you. He's not finished with your family. He's not finished with your job. not finished with anything you're involved with. He says, I have hope. You have a hope in a future. Maybe it's a health crisis. Maybe it's a relationship crisis. I want to ask you this morning, lay whatever it is at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, I need you to refocus me that my hope will be in Christ. Father God, I pray that you'll be with each person in this room this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. You, you bring us all to charcoal fire experiences. Where there's moments that we've abandoned you, moments that we've denied you, and yet on other moments, you come back in those same places and you meet us. And you grab our attention and you let us know about your love. Let us know about your peace, about your power, and your forgiveness. Lord, thank you for Peter, what you did for Peter, and how he went out and did great and mighty things. But it's because of you, Lord. I ask that you'll transform us as we meet with you. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing as we close our service. The Savior alone carried the cross for all of my debts. He paid the cost. Salvation complete. Now forever I'm free Calvary covers it all Calvary covers it all My sin and shame don't count anymore All praise to the one who has ransomed my soul Calvary covers it all. No power on earth, not even the grave, can separate us from mercy and grace. He is faithful to say, though his blood never fails. Calvary. today. Turn to your neighbor and say hello. Greet each other and we'll see you next Sunday.